Time for the dismissal of the children. And you're the lucky ducks because you get to go with Lauren Thompson. So count your lucky stars. I can sing a few chords, maybe. So, the, or the kids could stay here. We'll feed them to alligators, you know. One way or the other. Yeah, I'd take Lauren. All righty. Uh, well, we're going to continue the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, <clears throat> and I want to uh, just take a few minutes and and talk about the one who's giving the sermon, and because we just sung about him. And he's really wonderful. And this sermon that he's given is heartfelt. You know, it's not just a lot of information about some practical things to do to live live better. Uh, this is really from deep in the heart of Jesus. And so uh, I just want to take a quick look at kind of a day in his life. And to do that, why don't we uh, look at Mark 1. And you can follow along, and I'll just uh, read it from here. Mark 1, 29 through 38. And... Uh, I'm just going to start reading from Mark uh, 1, 29. Uh, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. So conclusion. Uh, Jesus is obviously not in this for himself. Okay. Uh, he was totally available uh, at cost to himself to needy people. And then he made himself available the next day to his heavenly father. Uh, going out of his way to make that happen. So, you know, he's, he's not ministering in order to get a following. Uh, he's just caring and ministering, just like it says in John uh, 4.34, when he told his disciples, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That was his passion, is this relationship he had with his heavenly father. And that's his passion for us. That's what he wants. That's what he's sharing with these people and why he's sharing. What he's sharing is so uh, he could invite them to enter into that relationship. Here's what he prays in John 17, 24. Uh, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. It's this love that Jesus enjoys and wants us to enter into. That's the whole reason that he gives the Sermon on the Mount, is to extend that invitation. 
Now it's, you know, we're talking about the kingdom. In chapter 6 of Matthew, the kingdom is mentioned twice. Jesus mentions his father 12 times in the chapter. So it's really uh, a lesson on how to get to know the father, what that looks like. And remember, when Jesus talks about the father, he really knows what he's talking about. This is his father. You know, this is the relation that has gone for infinity and, uh, or for eternity. And, uh, and it's a relationship of love. And so Jesus is not just giving theology about God. This is his personal father that he is inviting us to enjoy with him as well. So with that, uh, let's read together Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness. You guys can read along. I'm sorry, I didn't make that clear. We'll read it together. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Yeah, Father, we want to thank you again for these words and Thank you that we have access to you as a result of what Jesus has done. And just like we sang about and has been prayed, we recognize that's our only reason we could talk to you. And uh, Lord, we just ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would address anything that needs to be addressed in each of our hearts. We just want to say we're open to that and just willing to enter into greater intimacy with you, whatever it costs. So we thank you that that's your desire and your plan, and uh, we just commit ourselves to that end. Amen. All righty, so just, uh, you know, remember this is it's all about an invitation for uh, intimacy relationship with Jesus' Heavenly Father, who's also our Heavenly Father. But uh, in heading that direction, there's a couple, there's a, like an obstacle in the way uh, and then there's also an opportunity that kind of facilitates making that happen. And so we're going to talk about the obstacle first. And uh, remember in chapter 5, Jesus makes it clear that our righteousness not only needs to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, but he kind of explains what that's supposed to look like. And he kind of summarizes it at the end with uh, the statement, therefore be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so right away we know this isn't something we're going to be able to muster up on our own. Uh, this is something we need, need help with. So we've kind of dealt with the news that, you know, like in my heart, in your heart, you know, I'm already a murderer and adulterer and a liar. Okay, so just when I think it's safe to get back in the water, Jesus kind of goes another direction. He says, not only are you going to miss the kingdom because of your badness, you're going to miss the kingdom because of the nature of your goodness. 
and how you practice your righteousness. And so he's just digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper for us uh, because he's the king. You know, it's not just about the kingdom. It's all setting it up so we will recognize how much we need the king. So the first obstacle is in the first couple of verses, uh, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So this is the very first place in the New Testament that the word hypocrisy shows up. So we're going to talk about hypocrisy. And uh, in, uh, to start with, we'll just look at a couple of definitions. Uh, first definition, and these are just all from the internet, you know, nothing startling. First definition is someone who says that they have particular moral beliefs, but behaves in a way that shows that these are not sincere. Okay, the second one, a little more complicated, the contrivance of a false appearance of virtue or goodness while concealing real character inclinations, especially with respect to religious and moral beliefs. Hence, a general sense, dissimulation, pretense, sham. And the last one is just kind of like from the Strong's Concordance, the uh, the definition they give for the Greek word, and a lot simpler, an actor under an assumed character, a stage player, you know, figuratively a dissembler or a hypocrite. I mean, I've never called anybody a dissembler before, but I think I probably wouldn't be good. And, uh, but I, I guess it means hypocrite. But it'll show up later. I, so, okay, I kind of have an idea of, you know, what the definition of hypocrisy is and what that looks like. Now we're going to take a little quiz, okay? I'm going to throw up 10 statements, and what I want us all to do is, in your notes or in your mind, uh, kind of keep track of which of these statements do you think is hypocrisy, okay? Which of these conditions? And so the first one, teaching your kids that smoking is unhealthy when you smoke a pipe, okay? Second one, teaching Sunday school when you spend no time at all in personal Bible study, right? Uh, number three, passing out literature decrying the evils of drugs in front of marijuana shops in Denver when you're totally stoned. <laughs> okay, number four, having one beer too many at a neighborhood barbecue when you're trying to reach your neighbors for Christ. Okay, number five is a little more serious. Uh, keeping your pornography addiction a secret while leading a home fellowship. And then six, struggling with your own marriage while leading a young marriage fellowship. Or moving on, as a young mother yelling at your misbehaving kids during a home Bible study lesson on the fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> okay, number eight, sharing your testimony at a young life meeting in order to impress your girlfriend. And then nine, getting up at five o'clock every morning to have a quiet time whether you feel like it or not. And the final one is enjoying the feeling of being praised for a job well done at work. So, I, you know, we don't have time and it's not really the forum to interact about these, but I think it'd be kind of interesting, kind of fun. And I'm uh, curious to see what you all thought about that. 
I, I'm just suggesting that according to what Jesus is talking about when he talks about hypocrisy in chapter 6 of Matthew, I, number 8 is the only one where you really get nailed. And, uh, and the reason for that is if you look at the Pharisees and, uh, and what they were doing in their giving, they were giving on the outside and probably impressed a lot of people. In fact, they probably impressed a lot of people that were in Jesus' audience. You know, they'd probably seen a lot of this uh, flamboyant and on display generosity to uh, get a lot of praise from the crowd, and they'd probably applauded some of that. So this is something they're familiar with. But Jesus makes it clear that they weren't really making a donation at all. They were making a purchase. They were using their, their gift as leverage to buy approval and praise for themselves. And uh, that's why God couldn't give them anything. They'd got what they wanted already. And uh, they didn't give. They were involved in commerce more than they were involved in, in giving. And that's not where praise belongs, because Jesus said in Matthew 5 that in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. And so it's okay for people to see your good works. Jesus isn't suggesting that we don't do any good works or that we you know, do them in a corner someplace and nobody will see them. That wouldn't make sense. But we do them uh, so that people will see them and give glory to our Father that's in heaven. That's the point of doing the good works. And so uh, the Pharisees and the hypocrites were really doing the opposite of that. Uh, this expression, sounding the trumpet, uh, it's really unclear what that meant. Uh, one possibility is, like you see in this picture, that that was like the chest and there's like this, uh, this metal funnel on top. And that, by the way, is not a hypocritical Pharisee dropping in the coins. That's probably the widow with her two mites. But uh, you could imagine if you dropped a lot of coins in there at a time, it might make a lot of racket. You know, draw attention to your generosity or, or you could just imagine somebody might just stand there and kind of like keep putting one coin in at a time making sure that everybody is keeping count and taking credit for that as well. So that's a possibility but I think the main thing is that uh, they just there or in the streets make sure that at a time appointed and a place appointed there's a gathering of people that they're going to be doling out money to not just the poor but the spectators as well, just to make sure that, you know, their example is getting a lot of attention for them. And uh, so again, uh, the, the concept of, of hypocrisy is that you've, uh, you're, you're doing something that looks like it's spiritual, but you're totally doing it for something for yourself, uh, self-promotion of some form. I, I think that uh, also the the guy who's uh, not disclosing his internet pornography addiction uh, would be uh, up there kind of in the, under the heading of hypocrisy, but for a different reason. Uh, and the reason is that this, this word dissemble, uh, you know, I guess it means hypocrisy, but when you look at the opposite of that word, the antonyms, they're words like uncover uh, and reveal and expose and so the, the concept is 
that part of hypocrisy is hiding. And, uh, and, and the reason that that is so uh, contrary to what God has in mind is because the gospel is very costly to God and it needs a place to land. And, uh, and if we're hiding, if we're covering up uh, our sin, then the gospel is not going to be able to land there. And we're just flying in the face of all that God is trying to accomplish. And so I think that that is, that, that I would, uh, I don't care if he's leading a home fellowship or not. You know, if you're, if you're not disclosing where you are in terms of your struggles, then you're missing the opportunity that God gives in terms of what he wants to accomplish with the gospel. I, now the dude in Denver that's picketing the marijuana stores and stuff like that, he's high, and so, you know, he just makes bad decisions, and so <laughs> I can't really blame him for anything. I, so I think the point is that uh, for all of us, there's another term that applies. It's probably more accurate most of the time, and that's sinner, okay? And uh, acknowledge that you're a sinner, and you could be a sinner and not be a hypocrite, uh, and uh, and you could not be a hypocrite, and but you can't not be a sinner, and so you know we're all kind of on the same level playing field when it comes to that. But Jesus does say, pay attention. Okay, he does say, beware. And so, uh, hypocrisy can sneak in, and I want to just share a little story of how that might happen because they sure happened to me. Uh, last Wednesday morning, I was meeting with Marty Brown for breakfast, and, and I had to uh, prepare some, uh, some stuff ahead of time for him, and so I got up early, and I was working on it, and because I'd procrastinated, I hadn't done it yet, I'd uh, get up early and do that instead of having my normal quiet time, which I have in the morning. And now, by the way, uh, I uh, place a high value on planning ahead, okay, and I also procrastinate. It doesn't make me a hypocrite, just want you to know. And uh, anyway, so I show up uh, at breakfast, and I get there early, and so I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm here early. I'll have a quiet time now. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, see, should I read a psalm from my, my phone, or should I, you know, look at my Bible, or open my computer so I can do some, journal, some journaling? And, and then I realized that in the back of my mind, I was actually thinking, I wonder what Marty would think if he saw one or the other. And, and I want you to know, I didn't get up in the morning and sit down and say, now Mike, I want you to play, pay careful attention and plan and determine what would Marty like to see so you could do that. That was not at all in my thinking. It just kind of crept in naturally because I really place a lot of value on what people think about me. And so I, you know, it's kind of like God gave me a little slap in the face and reminded me, hello, you know, it's about you and me here. And so I was able to uh, actually turn to him and find another place in my life for the gospel to land. And uh, it turned out to be a great time with the Lord. Uh, but it was, it's just uh, it's sneaky, this whole hypocrisy thing, because we're so vulnerable and it's we place such a high value, don't we, on uh, how people see us and what they think of us. and So that's why Jesus had to give us a little warning about that.
Okay, so anyway, that's kind of the obstacle is uh, our tendency to want to please people or perform for others rather than uh, trust God. And so now let's move into the opportunity that we have because this relationship with our Heavenly Father is something that doesn't occur only in the privacy of our own lives. It occurs in all of the opportunities that God gives us to minister and we experience intimacy with him in that. And so Jesus uh, reiterates the statement, when you give to the needy, okay? It's not like an option. It's not like uh, if you give to the needy, if this fits into your program. This is something that he's expecting people are going to do. And I think he starts with that rather than with prayer or with fasting because it was such a common thing. It's such an important value in the Jewish community. If you look at Psalm 112, and uh, the look at the underlying uh, portions of this uh, generation of the upright will be blessed. His righteousness endures forever. Gracious, merciful, and righteous deals generously and lends. So the righteous will never be moved. And then verse 9, distributed freely, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And so you just see this combined theme of righteousness and generosity, and that's really common in the Psalms and really throughout the Old Testament. And it was the reason that uh, the Jewish community placed such a high value on giving. And I know they kind of messed it up with the hypocrisy, but it was still something that was uh, very important in, on the heart of God. So we need to talk about this whole idea of giving to the needy. It's not the last time because, you know, it comes up a lot in Matthew. And also this is a church that's really committed to that idea, uh, which is, I think, really cool. Uh, I'm not going to lay down the law and explain when and where and how and to whom uh, because I just don't know. Okay, that's really something that everybody needs to bring to the Lord. But what I'd like to do is just give you some uh, stories uh, that I know about uh, what that looks like sometimes. And the first story is a woman that I know who lives in California. And uh, she was going into a grocery store and she had two boys kind of behind her and her kids. And there's a man that was, uh, that asked for money when they went in, a homeless guy. And, and so she said, she didn't have any cash. She said, I don't have any cash. Uh, I'm going to the grocery store. Can I get you something? And he said, yes, I'd like a Lunchable. And I don't even know what a Lunchable is, but uh, she knew. And uh, so she went in and said, great, I'll you know, get you a Lunchable. And then her boys, they thought, you know, I want to get on in the act. And so they wanted to get him something too. And so they used some of their money to get him something. And uh, she came back out and gave the guy the Lunchable and the kids gave him what they got. And, and she said, you know, you are really special to God. And... Uh, got in her car and drove home. You know, it's just simple. Uh, she, she wasn't trying to uh, draw attention to herself. She was just ministering to the guy in a way that made sense and, uh, and from a, a heart that was really connected to the Lord and communicating what God thought about this fella. Uh, that in contrast to my experience uh, I was on campus doing some evangelism with another staff guy. And, uh, and we had a, <coughs> a deadline. He had to go somewhere, so we were only going to be gone for about 10 minutes. 
And, uh, and there was an older guy that was kind of hovering around the tables. This was outside the student union. And uh, so it was obvious that he wanted more than just conversation. And so I, I told him, you know, why don't you come back in 15 minutes? So he came back. And, and uh, so we went into the student union and I bought him dinner. And so we sat there. We had dinner together and we we're having a conversation. And, uh, and then I just really exposed where I was coming from because I said to him, like a fool, uh, I said, you know, I'm you know, just totally happy to buy you dinner. I, I just don't feel free to give you cash because I really don't know what you would do with it. And he said, well, thanks for judging me. <laughs> now, I don't know how many verses there are in the Bible on judging, but he had memorized all of them. And he lit into me, I want you to know, about uh, how I had judged him. And, and I have to confess, the conversation did not end that well. And I left, and I'm walking home, and I'm just totally convicted. Because it, I began to verbalize in my mind what I actually thought about that situation. I have money. You don't. I am buying you dinner. You're receiving dinner from me. I have a job. You don't. And I couldn't bring myself to say it, but really what was going on is I was thinking in my heart, I am better than you. I'm more worthy than you. God thinks more highly of me than he thinks of you. I never in a million years would have thought, looked at a situation like that, and deliberately concluded, that's the way I think about this guy. You know, I would have thought that I would have been loving and gracious and kind and generous. I would have thought all those things about me, but that's not really what was going on. So be like this woman in California, okay? Don't be like I was when it comes to uh, your attitude toward the poor. I, and I think maybe I've grown a little bit. Another place for the gospel to land you guys are probably all thinking, what's a scumbag doing up there preaching? But I, just, I got lots of places where the gospel will land, believe me. There's a ministry in Phoenix called Neighborhood Ministries. And uh, uh, Kit Danley is the one who started it years ago. And I, I don't know if you know uh, Parker Schramm, but he's up there and he's involved with them. And uh, one, of the, one of the ministries they have, it's inner city Phoenix, one of the ministries they have is a thrift shop. And they have people... Uh, from different churches, work as cashiers and stuff at a thrift shop, and they give them six weeks of training. And uh, so they were doing, they had volunteers, and they're training people, and after a week, one of the volunteers said, uh, look, we totally get it. You know, we know about the store. We know how to operate the, the cashier, or the, whatever you call it, the cash registers, and, and how come it's six weeks? And she said, well, it's one week to learn the business. And it's five weeks to learn how to treat people with dignity. And uh, boy, that just so captured the heart of God. And, uh, and that's, I think, what's, what's on Jesus' heart when he, when he talks about, it's such a huge contrast, you know, between giving to the poor to draw attention to myself and uh, giving to the poor out of a heart of God that sees them as people of great value. Something else I was going to say. Let me look over my notes here. 
oh yeah, right, we need to talk about this uh, left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. You know, that's not an expression you use every day either, unless you're just quoting the Bible. And uh, so, you know, looked up some stuff and thought about that. And uh, well, number one, uh, you know, the, those guys back in Matthew 5 that are worried about cutting off the right hand, I bet they're really glad here in chapter 6 they still got both hands. And, uh, but I, I think there are three, maybe more, but at least three possibilities in this. Uh, and one is that, that you're just so uh, unencumbered with what others think about you that you just totally forget uh, what you're doing. You're always thinking about the next thing that you're going to follow God in. And always forward thinking and you're not keeping track of stuff. So you're just forgetting it. So it's like your right hand forgets what your left hand's doing or your left or right or however that goes. And another possibility is that uh, see what it is. Oh yeah, I know it. Is that uh, you're, you're not just not accepting praise from people, but you're not breaking your arm, patting yourself on the back either. You know, it's, 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 you're not getting to a place where, and boy, this is such a terribly dangerous place to be, but you're not getting to the place where you're thinking, you know, I bet I'm really pleasing God now. I am so good that uh, God's got to love me. You know, that's not why he loves us. You know, he loves us because of who he is, not because of what we do. So I think that would be another possible interpretation of that. But the one I favor is that I'm not really dialoguing with myself. I'm not really contemplating and, and calculating and figuring out, you know, what's the right thing to do. I'm just listening to another voice. I'm inviting God in and saying, God, what do you think? So it's not my hands that are involved. It's God's. God's voice and my heart. I, I think that, because that's the way Jesus operated. You know, he was constantly listening to his heavenly father and engaging with people uh, based upon what he was hearing from him. So that's, that's kind of where we want to head. Uh, and I, I want to go back to that passage in Mark because as Jesus invites us to, you know, avoid hypocrisy and uh, take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us to serve so we could enter into his heart and grow in intimacy with him that way. Uh, really, the, the intimacy that Jesus practiced and, uh, uh, and wants us to experience as well is what he talks about, or what's talked about in Mark 1, where you know, he's, he's in his all-night prayer meet, or healing meeting, right? I mean, he's healing people. He's in spiritual warfare, and it starts late. It goes late. It's a crowded house. The whole town's there, and he's got to be bushed. I mean, it was already a heavy day. So he gets up before dawn, okay? It's still dark outside, and he doesn't just open his eyes and pray in bed. He rises up. And he doesn't just get out of bed. He departs. He leaves the house. And not only does he leave the house, he goes out. He leaves town and finds a place where he could really have solitude in a desolate place so he could connect with his heavenly father. And it's really a good thing because the logical thing for him to do at that point on that day is go back where everybody's looking for him. That would be my tendency. Man, I don't have everybody looking for me very often. 
So I'm going to jump on that if the opportunity avails itself, but not Jesus. Because he had been in touch with his heavenly father and he got a different message that only he got. Peter didn't get it. The other disciples didn't get it. Just Jesus got it because he's connected to his heavenly father. And so I would just like to ask you, are you connecting that way? Do you have a time? Do you have a place where you're meeting with your heavenly father? And uh, taking advantage of that opportunity that Jesus invites us into. Uh, it's really, it's, it's not so much about avoiding hypocrisy or taking advantage of the opportunities to minister. It's really about the relationship, isn't it? And seizing upon the privilege of that, which is, by the way, what I think the reward is. The reward is that relationship. And, uh, and as we step into that deliberately and consciously, by the way, that whole getting up five o'clock and having your quiet time, whether you feel like it or not, I think that's the way Jesus operated. And uh, he just made time for his heavenly father. And, uh, and we've got the privilege of doing the same. So uh, with that, I'd just like to invite Janice and the worship team up. And I just want to say how much I appreciate the effort you people put into practicing and coming up with the worship music and leading us in that. Thanks so much for that. And uh, as they do that, uh, we're going to another, have another opportunity to step to the table and uh, share in communion. And, you know, I don't know, it, it's always a possibility that, you know, God uh, in his grace would put his finger on something and something that you need to confess, uh, whether it has to do with uh, hypocrisy or, or reneging on opportunities or whatever. And, and the cool thing is that uh, what the communion table is all about is, uh, you know, that's, that's why Jesus came is to deal with all of those things that we need to confess. Uh, you know, his body was broken, his blood was shed on the cross, so uh, we could, you know, have that relationship with his heavenly father. So uh, let me pray and, and uh, we'll move into communion. Yeah, heavenly father, again, we thank you that uh, we could call you our father. That, uh, that's something that uh, is just uh, unimaginable that uh, you would do that. And uh, we are your children. We are privileged to draw close to you, to hear from you, and to uh, yeah, understand what's on your heart and live out of that. And thank you that more than anything, what's on your heart is how much you love us and how you want to express that. And so uh, we just want to say thank you for that and uh, want to say that we uh, just want more of that. In Jesus' name, amen.